Welcome to TV community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the very communicative Elliot Shibley. Elliot, break down what we have going on before the episode. I will, Bob, and thank you for calling me communicative. Uh, some people in my family would consider me not communicative, and Wait, I would agree with them. You pronounced it differently than I did. Is, I did. Is that just a difference in pronunciation, or did I say it wrong? No, I think it's just a difference. It's like okay. if you said illustrative versus illustrative. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Just making sure. We yeah. know that I'm bad with pronunciation, so. We do know that. Anyway, we want to bring attention to our website. We have a travel gear tab and a book a trip tab. Under the travel gear tab, you will see backpacks, water bottles, chargers, and other travel items that Bob and I have either used or want to use. And we either love them or absolutely love them. And under the book a trip tab, you'll be able to see our previous guests that have their own travel companies that you could book trips through. And these guests we've already vetted. We've already talked to them. We like them. We believe in what they're doing. And if you would like to book a trip, simply go through our website. Now, we do have the very important part of figuring out what the answer to last week's trivia question was. So for Tasha, what did she, what dance did she perform for the Hadzabe tribe? And the answer was the hula. Did you get that one? I did. I did. How can you forget that story? I know. I don't know yeah. if I would have been able to do that, probably because I don't know how to hula. No, that's a big part of it, I think. Maybe I would have done the sprinkler. <laughs> the lawnmower. Or the lawnmower, yeah. yeah. But since they don't have sprinklers or lawnmowers, they may not have fully understood Ooh, it. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> If you have the answer or for this week's trivia question, please email us at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com. That email can be found on our website, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, uh, other social media pages. I can just keep going on and on and on. Also, you could just reach out to us on Instagram direct message. We look at all of the message we, messages we receive. So tune in to the end of the episode for that question. Bob, what is our guest and who is he today? <clears throat> so... Today's guest, we had an incredible conversation today. Our guest had an incredible amount of experience traveling the world, 185 countries, actually. He, we started this conversation with his background and kind of just discussed travel and podcasting, travel podcasting a little bit. It then transitioned into travel healthcare, which was somewhat new to Elliot and I. We learned a ton. It was an incredibly valuable conversation to anybody traveling. Uh, and it was jammed with information. Then we ended on his project, The Great American Loop. He is working towards traveling to the United States. You know what? You know what? I'm going to stop. I don't want to give it away. You're going to have to listen to find out. It was an all-around incredible conversation. So without further introduction, please give it up for our next guest, Mark Philpot. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Mark, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Thanks, guys. It's uh, great to finally catch up with you both. I've been watching you both intensely online and listening to your podcast episode. So it's good to see you both, Bob and Elliot. Good to see you too. And thank yeah, you for listening. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Uh, and as far as we understand, you have a podcast, a travel podcast of your own that is currently at 90 episodes. Now, how long have you been doing that for? Um, I've only been going for six months. So I... Um, Started from ground zero like everybody does and uh, spend all my time stressing about what kind of microphone I should buy and what kind of software I should use for editing and how the heck am I going to do this editing by myself? And, oh, by the way, I live on a sailboat. So is this even going to be possible to yeah. do this from a sailboat? Yeah. So, <laughs> and that's yeah. where you're recording from right now. You're off the coast of Brisbane, Australia. Yeah, I am. With, I'm with a sitting storm in rolling in. I'm sitting in the coral sea. So if I go under in a few minutes, guys, send out the SOS. <laughs> it's recorded. <laughs> now, just very quick before we jump into the episode, I do want to just bring up the, the fires in Australia seem to be incredibly intense right now. It's yeah. the coverage has been, it's, it's pretty horrible. It seems like it's incredibly devastating to the wildlife to people are losing their lives and their homes. Have you, can you see the smoke? Have you had any experience with the wildfires or are you at a distance to where it hasn't impacted you in any way? Look, I, I really want to thank you for bringing that up because I wanted to talk about that as well today because it, um, here we are on a Monday morning down here in Australia. You guys are still enjoying Sunday evening over yes, here we in are. the United States. And uh, 
you know, for the past few weeks, Australia has been going through something that's been unprecedented, really, in its history when it comes to bushfires. Um, the size and the magnitude of these things is just uncomprehendable, really, because you're talking about um, a total area is about three quarters of the size of North America that's currently on fire. And um, wow, we've had hundreds of thousands of people that have been affected. We've had many deaths now. We've had people that are lost everything out of their lives, not only their homes, but all of those things that we have in our homes that we take for granted of being there every day, like all the memories that we keep and all the, all the things that mean something to us as individuals. So it's been a very somber time down here. And it's, um, it's something that's really affected the nation, but also when a nation's down and it's hurting, that's when people become their strongest. So there's been some incredible acts of bravery. There's been incredible acts of compassion. Um, there was a local comedian yesterday who started a uh, GoFundMe page and she's raised $20 million in the last 48 hours um, wow. to help these, uh, these bushfire victims. So, you know, whenever you have tragedies like this, incredibly inspiring stories come out of it. Um, but at the moment, it's, it's a very dark place. And thankfully, um, to answer your question, I'm, I'm nowhere near the, uh, the place where the bushfires are at the moment. Um, it's well south of me, probably about 2,000 miles away, in fact. So it's, it's quite a long way away. So in terms of, we have had bushfires up here. So in terms of smoke haze and, and all of that, it's been lingering around now for the last, well over the last month, we've had these extreme temperatures in Australia. Wow. Yeah. The, I mean, the photos that have come out of it are just harrowing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's getting up right up to the Sydney, correct? Is that correct? It is. Yeah, it's got okay. right up to um to if you know Australia very well at all, it's got up to the New South Wales border um and and right up to the main city areas. Hasn't got into Sydney yet, which is very thankful. But um, regardless of that, there's a lot of people across the rural areas of the country that have been uh, completely devastated and wiped out. Yeah. Right. So that that's something that I think Americans don't realize that the size of Australia you're almost the same size as the continental United States. Yeah. And like you mentioned, what, three quarters of your country is, yeah, is now yeah. burning, essentially. Yeah. So that, that's almost, I mean, you could almost say that it, it's the equivalent to, I don't know, half the United States would yeah. be would be on fire. And that's kind of puts it in perspective a little bit. It's my boggling. That's, that's very hard to imagine, though, isn't it? The half of oh, the United man. States. Fire, yeah. like, you know, you have your California bushfires, which are, which are terrible as well, and those things that we've seen down here recently. But this is a magnitude that just is very difficult to understand how big it is. Right. Yeah. And, of well, course, with a, such a smaller population, we don't have the resources available like the United States does to be able to, I guess, um, be, be proactive in these situations. So there's a lot of the fires that are being left out of control and just burning because we don't have the resources to be able to um, put in retainment lines and all those sorts of things that are required. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know you, the, the land mass is almost the same size, but I think you have like a 20 million people or something. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, we're at about 350 million. Yeah. Well, I hope that it is resolved. <laughs> I think um, let, let's take a positive step in this podcast show today. And for those people that are affected, let's give them a little bit of light and a bit of hope and a bit of laughter and see whether we can put some smiles on some faces yet yeah, to do good in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's just talk travel. Um, why don't you explain to our guests what you've been up to, uh, what you're focusing on right now as far as travel goes? Yeah, thanks for asking. Look, I think in terms of the whole global travel channel that I started was a, you know, it took me by surprise. It wasn't something that I've been planning for a long time. And in fact, one of my closest friends said to me, why don't you start a podcast show? You've been a, a keynote speaker for a long time. You've been around the world to many, many countries. And you've got a lot of things that you can, you can talk about. And I said, well, I don't want it to be about me. I want to talk about other people's travel experiences because as we all know, travel is such an amazing thing to experience and it, and it affects all of us in a different way. We all have, even we can go to the same place and yet have such a vastly different travel experience. So I wanted to hear stories from other people about how they've changed their life, so to speak, in terms of their travel experience. And I also wanted to create a platform where eventually this can turn into actually changing other people's lives beyond the podcast. So that's why I started the Global Travel Channel. So the podcast is, I guess, step number one in this um, vision that I have to do good, give back in the world, make a difference, but using travel as the core essence of that model, if you like. And that's what I've started in the Global Travel Channel. Yeah, it's kind of awesome. You've, I mean, over the last six months, it seems like you had 
had some amazing guests on, all with incredible stories. Um, so why don't we kind of dive into that? I mean, what do most of your guests kind of, what do you look for? Um, it looks like your latest episode was uh, a travel coach and she had, you know, done several, visited several countries as in 80, which is more than, <laughs> more than several. <laughs> and she's only 22. <clears throat> Wow. Well, Bob, if I know you're up to 11 and Elliot's up to 18 countries visited. So you guys have yes. uh, got some traveling to do, right? Yeah. yeah we have a lot of, well, that's the thing. The reason we started this podcast is because we kind of settled down a little bit. Um, and this is our way of, of keeping up with travel, living vicariously through the people that we find interesting. And maybe we would have met during our travels. Now we just have to do it through our homes and that's filling the gap for me. I know I'm pretty sure it's yeah. filling the gap for Elliot. It is. And we're, I mean, we're hoping to inspire the next generation of travelers. Right. Right. Big time. Well, one of the questions I had for you guys today was, um, and I, and I pulled this off your website as a random piece and I, I thought, right, I'm going to ask them, why can't you quit your job and leave your family and go travel? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, we've contemplated it. <laughs> yeah. Elliot and I might run away together together. <laughs> you never know. Um, yeah, well, the, the the way that I'm looking at, it, I like the balance. I'm trying to live a life of balance, and uh, yeah, yeah. and the, I'm figuring that I can get to at least one country every year for the rest of my life. Hopefully, yeah. that's the goal. That's yeah. the goal. That's like the minimum. And you know, I'm 32. That's that's a decent amount of countries. You know, I can hit a few more countries um, between between now and the, when I die of old age at 115 in my bed. <laughs> the the ripe young age of 115. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I really like that approach because I think that, um, and this is one of the things that I've, I guess, witnessed in talking to a lot of my guests is that um, I think we're getting a bit too hung up about how many countries we've actually visited and how important that is and, and all this sort of stuff. Because um, if you go to a particular destination and that has a life-changing impact on you, um, it doesn't matter if you don't go to another country in your entire life. If, if that particular experience made you into a better human being that you're able to go home and live your life in a way that's more compassionate, more loving, more supportive and better for the world, then that one travel experience has done the thing. So yeah, hats off to all these people that have been to tens and hundreds of countries, but um, travel to me is all about making the most of that experience, whether it be one or whether it be a hundred. Yeah. And I would absolutely agree with that because, and even if it's not uh, to a different country even if it's within your own town or your own state or if you're outside of the united states your own province yeah because i find i find value in just traveling to new york yeah that's a really nice point because um a bit like australia because you guys live in a, in a, a vast um a country that has lots of vast distances um people struggle sometimes going from one coast to the other and and, and they look at the I guess the easier option it might be to get on a plane and go down to Florida or, or go to go to Cuba or somewhere like that. But in Australia, we had the same issue here: is that people, you know, a lot of people haven't been to the other side of Australia to check out what's there. Yeah, we've we actually talked to several people from Australia, and <laughs> most of them are like, "Yeah, I've actually never really traveled in Australia." I, yeah, it was mind-boggling to me. Yeah, I mean, we had Leah on. She's a young young girl. She's traveled all over the world, and yeah. we brought up. Now I'm drawing a blank. Aries Rock? Aries Rock, yeah. Aries, Aries Rock. Aries, yeah. And uh, she had never been there. Never have been. No, no. no. Yeah. Which would, yeah. it, was mild, it was mildly interesting only in the, in the fact that most of them are either based in Sydney or on the West Coast. And I've never, Sydney's East and then other people like Perth and uh, Melbourne, that's all West Coast, right? No, Melbourne's, yeah. I thought Melbourne's East Coast too. No? Melbourne's Southeast Coast, yeah. Okay. And they just hadn't been to the opposite side. Right. Yeah. And they hadn't even been to Tan Tasmania or exactly. even New Zealand. Yeah. There you go. Which is, which is an even better country still. Cause that's where I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you, let me ask you this guys. Have you been to Boise, Idaho? <clears throat> um, no, I have never, I don't know if I've ever set foot in Idaho. Oh, I have. I've been to 36 of the 50 states. Okay. Well, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Yeah. There's a few that, that, some that I don't know why I'd ever travel to. I'm sorry if you're from like Nebraska right now and you're listening, <laughs> shoot me an email and tell me what I need to go see in your state. But, uh, and there are some that are very high on my list that I just haven't gotten to yet. Alaska is a big one and it's just very hard to get to. I can get to Italy for much cheaper than I can go to Alaska. 
And that's the same really? issue in Australia as well. It's very expensive to, to fly and travel domestically in Australia versus hopping off to Bali or New Zealand or, or somewhere like that. Bob, right. I'm going to challenge you on that uh, Alaska because I'm pretty sure you can get to Alaska for like 700 bucks round trip right now. But you can get to Italy for, for three, four, five round trip. Was that three, four, 300, 400? Between three and five. <laughs> you, you, can get, you can go from Philadelphia to Rome for between three to 500 which is like the average cost. For so, me, Elliot, where was that price to? Alaska from where? Philly. So, we're, we, so oh, Philly so Alaska is 700 bucks right now. Yeah, from, and there's from, from Philly to Juneau, there's a round trip, which has one layover for 477 That's another thing. You have to have, you have, to have a layover to go to Alaska. That's true. Philly, right? So I'm, I'm flying direct to Rome. The Europe, we're in a perfect spot. The East Coast is in a perfect spot to fly to Europe. Really know I can I can I can fly from Brisbane to LA at the moment for six hundred US return. Wow! Is, are now is that Google <laughs> Google flights? No, that's just on you know any of the online um, okay travel uh, <laughs> yeah, sites. So yeah, that puts it in perspective, I guess, when you're talking about international versus and long long haul international versus domestic. Um, yeah, but you're like if you're going to take the time to fly, you might as well just go somewhere completely different. Well, you're in the perfect location to enjoy Southeast Asia, which for us it takes us. 24 hours to get there yeah mm-hmm. so guys I'm, I'm interested in a couple of things about you and your podcasting journey so far first of all sure. how did you guys come together to to do a podcast show and why did you choose podcasting as the medium of, of getting your message out there you want me to that, take is a, you? that is a great question <laughs> yeah. yeah bob why don't you take that one um well ellie and i met at work we worked for an engineering company. Elliot is a landscape architect and I am an environmental scientist. So our professions clashed. We met in Manhattan on a project together uh, where we were out of separate offices, met on a project in Manhattan, had to work there for two weeks, kind of hit it off, just have a lot of similar interests, travel, uh, nightlife. I mean, we, we ended up going out and hanging out in Manhattan. We got the idea because we both just enjoy travel, our first idea, though, was to write a travel guidebook. Yes. Right? So we started, write, we started writing this book on how to plan travel, and we broke it down into several, several categories, uh, you know, online resources, how to navigate cities, how to, how, to make, how to be an efficient traveler when you're in a location. But then podcasting came into our minds. It is an, it's an expanding platform. People are absorbing their information this way at an incredibly high rate. It's constantly growing. You're free to do what you want. You don't need to coordinate with a publisher or upload it to a platform that's going to require, I don't know, certain things. They're going to have to edit your book. And the, the process is just much easier and you can still reach a ton of people this way. We're kind of free to do this at our own, at our own free will. We get on the people that we want to talk to. We do what interests us. There's no one telling us what to do, how to do it. We just kind yeah. of do. And it's we have full creative um liberties liberties yeah yeah and that's guys i've just got to uh close this hatch because the storms come <laughs> yeah go for it go for it we'll put it on hold is there anything else elliot that i should have added to that or yeah i'll add uh yeah i'll wait till he comes back though yeah it's closing the hatch this is our first podcast with a guy on a boat it is isn't it yeah we're, we're ticking things off here we've done we've hit every continent we've had a podcast with someone on every continent except antarctica right yeah we have We've hit every continent now, so that's pretty impressive. Go ahead. It is. You're uh, back. So, <laughs> Sorry about that. All good. One thing that I'll add to that, Bob, is since we, the format at least, um, not necessarily that Bob and I are experts in travel and that we know all of the tricks of the trade, and that is why we do the interview-based format, because we have traveled a little bit. We know that there are there's more knowledge out there, and that's why we try to bring people in that have a little bit more experience in certain realms. And then we both have a passion for you know the environment, sustainability, and just culture in general. So having those that are have their own projects that are tied into travel is really important to our just format and the overall Traveler's Blueprint community. Yeah. Hmm. And did you find the the art of podcasting an easy concept to pick up in terms of managing the technical aspect of it and, and putting all that together in terms of editing and all the rest of it. I was completely new to audio. Uh, no, I wouldn't say completely new. Uh, my job requires a lot of software knowledge of like the Adobe suite. So I have some experience in editing, so it wasn't too hard to transition into it. Um, but 
the amount of time it takes to edit, you kind of figure out what you want to edit out of an episode. So when I say, um, or when Bob says, um, or when you say, um, that we try to cut out as much as possible to make you, the guest sound phenomenal and (laughs) make Bob and I sound a little bit more intelligent. (laughs) (laughs) You know, at this point, I don't even care that I say it. I'm trying to consciously remove it, but I know I say it all the time. It's hard. It's hard to do. And I don't notice it until I go back and listen to these episodes where I'm like, man, I, I say, um, way too much. I know you think you're not saying it, but we do. And the other <sighs> thing that it was fairly easy to do the podcast format because Bob and I are both very conversational. We like learning and we like talking to people about their experiences, about their past and what they want to do and what their ideals are. So having you on is a great way. And I don't think we've actually ever really discussed this with anyone. We had our uh, episode, Caesar, there it was, uh, 000, which was just the beginning. And it was only a two minute segment about what the podcast is, but it didn't talk about why we formed it or how we plan on seeing it grow. I think it's um, a valid point. And the reason I asked you is because I actually get my guest asking me, why did I start the podcast show and what was my journey to get there? Because they wanted to put some context and relevance, I guess, to who's this guy they're talking to? How much does he know about travel? How much has he seen of the world? What kind of questions can I expect to get from this guy? Or So I, I found that quite interesting. So that's why I asked. And I think a lot of people would be uh, appreciative of you sharing how you came together on that. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of our guests have asked us, but it's never been on air. It's usually mm. either before the episode or after the episode. Right. Yeah. We are groundbreaking today, guys. It is. It is. Well, well, let me take that, conver- that that question and turn it right back around. What about you? How did you end up podcasting? I know you have a ton of travel experience. And if you could, before you answer the question, can you just tell us about some of your, your travel experiences and, and maybe how it eventually... Huh? Maybe that will answer the question. It, yeah. Yeah. How it eventually <laughs> turned into a travel podcast. Well, I've been fortunate enough through my life to have... Um, I'm 54 years old and I've had a lot of different types of travel experiences. So when I was a young guy, I was a professional sportsman. So I was able to travel the world um, doing something that I was extremely passionate about and loving as a career. And you obviously see the world through different eyes by doing that. You don't travel mainstream as a sports person. Um, Your dedication and focus doesn't allow you necessarily to have the time available to explore cities in a way that you would like to when you're there so you you travel from a hotel to a tennis stadium you play your matches you probably get knocked out in the first round like I did and you're on the next plane out of town right so um, that doesn't allow you to to see a lot of places but I could tick off a lot of places that I said I've been to by doing that the next phase of my life was in the corporate sector and um, I worked for a multinational company which was the world's largest logistics company. So I had a, an amazing opportunity over the course of a 22-year career to travel everywhere in the world, basically, um, doing business. And again, the corporate sector allows you, um, I guess, from a cost perspective, to travel a lot easier because you're not paying for it out of your own pocket, which is significant, of course. Um, you're staying in relatively nice hotels everywhere you go. Um, someone's booking your airline tickets for you. So it's another type of travel experience and I got to do that for many many years so I went to countries and cities and villages and townships that I would never have chosen probably in my entire life if I had not had that experience through the business world and then um, post the business world I left and I started my own international not-for-profit organization and at the time I was living in Singapore And I had a focus of the majority of the projects that I was creating with my team were across Indochina. So I got to to spend a lot of time in that part of the world. And again, seeing it in a way that I would never have seen it before if I was a professional sports person or if I was a business traveler, because I was in a lot of rural areas that were very um, poor, um, stricken and in need of help. And that's why we were there doing that type of work. And it opened my eyes again to a whole different form of traveling. But I also want to say that during that journey that I've had over over the 40 years that I've been really traveling the world is it's the people you meet in these places through those experiences. So you can imagine in the corporate world, you're meeting a lot of business people, um, they're stressed, they're going from meeting to meetings, they're trying to deal with family issues back on the other side of the world. 
Um, they're under pressure to deliver results. So you have a different type of interaction with those people when you're in that world. Um, as a sports person, you, you're around a bunch of like-minded people that are trying to achieve the same goal, which is to be the best in their particular chosen sporting profession. So there's a lot of competition in that world. And not everybody ends up being your friend because the guy that's um, maybe sharing a bunk bed with you is the guy that wants to knock you off the, the <laughs> tennis court the next day in my case, right? Um, and then in the nonprofit world, it's, um, it's all about budget and saving money and doing things very cheaply because you want to maximize your, your donor and funding support the best way you possibly can. So you're not staying in five-star hotels and, and traveling uh, first class everywhere. You're, you're taking rickshaws and tuk-tuks and in a lot of cases, jumping on the back of a motorbike with three other people and, and you're trying to um, you know, really be mindful of how you're spending the money. So over the course of all those years, I think that travel has enriched my life through all those different types of traveling experiences I've had the opportunity to do and, and now living on a sailboat and producing my podcast show from a, a sailboat gives me another life traveling experience that I probably would never have thought of doing 20 years ago or even two years ago, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you're literally, you're literally living on a mode of transportation. Yeah. 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 And I woke up this morning and I was thinking about coming on the show with you guys. And I was thinking, how cool is it that I can wake up in my house? I've got million dollar, million dollar water views outside my, my window here that I don't have to pay a cent for. And um, I can take my home anywhere in the world thanks to the wind and the sun. And I think that's just a, such a cool concept. It really it is. is. I've always I, loved the idea of you know, living on a boat and just never have. Yeah. And Bob, I want to go back to something Bob said earlier because it, it really resonated with me. And he talked about having balance in life. And I think balance to us as individuals can be very different in the way that we seek that balance. And, you know, I don't have a family around me. I have my little puppy dog and him and I are, um, are soulmates and we're, he's my wingman and we do everything <laughs> together. Um, so he seems like I, a good wingman. He's a great wingman. And, um, but in the same breath, I would say I have an extraordinary amount of balance in my life. And I love podcasting. Like you guys, I'm hungry for learning and information and talking to people and going deep into a conversation where you find out something about somebody that really makes them think about themselves a bit more. That's what I love about the, the podcasting experience. Yeah. Well, and not only the podcasting experience, but that's the main reason I travel. I love seeing new places, but I love meeting new people more in those places than anything else. Some of my favorite trips have been ones where I've traveled to a new place and met some incredible people that we end up hanging out and had not known each other prior to that trip. It's a hunger to learn. It, and it's, it's this hunger like for curiosity. You're just curious. And that's, that's why we enjoy travel. And that's why we're doing this podcast. That's why we're meeting new people and talking to new people. But I want to put your travel into into perspective for some of our listeners. When you say you're well traveled, you've been to 185 countries. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a lot. I mean, I so I just finished this book where a guy he hit every country in the world. It took him 50 years. I think his name was Albert Podell. It's a really mm -hmm. good book. I listened to it on the Audible. Mm -hmm. I think he did it in like the 70s and 80s, and I don't know how many. There's you know in the mid 190s, I'm sure whatever the UN decided to identify as countries back then, but You've been to 185 countries. And so I really want to make sure that on this podcast, we pick your brain a little bit and we, we hear some of your favorite travel stories and just to get general travel advice, because if anybody has it, it's you. And I just want to ask you, you know, this is, this is a, it's a really hard question, but to, to, to answer in a, in a, in a podcast, but what would you give, what advice would you provide to someone who is maybe aspiring to travel the world, who wants to see 185 countries, where do they start and what do they expect to gain from that? I think you hear what I'm about to say from every guest that you probably talk to on your show, and that is get out of your comfort zone. And I truly believe that it's when you have the ability inside yourself to get out of your comfort zone as far as you possibly can that's when the magic is really going to happen. So when you ask me about my most incredible travel experiences and across those whole different, I guess, decades of my life that I've just explained to you previously about those experiences, I could probably pull a few out of each one of those experiences that had a life-changing um, impact on me. 
And one that comes to mind was, and, and this is quite a funny one, so I thought I'd bring up something a little bit humorous um, today to share with you guys and your listeners, but also in hindsight, it was a, um, a life-threatening situation for me at the time. So um, I was living in Singapore at the time, and I just met a new lady in my life, and it was our first date, and I thought, right, I'm going to impress her by taking her on an incredible travel experience because I thought if I can get her out of her comfort zone, then chances are she's going to see me as a great guy and we're going to have a good chance at a relationship. At the time, I had a motorcycle and I decided that I would take her on a motorcycle adventure. Now, I was impressed, first of all, by the young lady in, in question because she accepted the challenge and she, she said without even knowing me that she would get on the back of my motorcycle and we would go across into Malaysia across the Singapore Causeway for the weekend. Anyway, it is a long story, so I'm going to keep it short. So we basically got to the place where we were staying. Um, I did the gentlemanly thing and had booked two beautiful hotel rooms, one for her and one for me. And I told her that we would um, meet up in the morning for a walk along the beach. We got up the next morning, we walked along the beach, and it was quite surreal. It was one of those magical moments out of a Hollywood movie where there's a young couple walking along, and I was young back then, young couple walking along the beach, palm trees, white sand, turquoise colored water. Um, and she reached out and she held my hand and we we're walking along the beach. And I, I could have just died and gone to heaven right then because I achieved my goal. <laughs> but she said to me, why don't we go for a swim? And I said, that's a great idea. So we ended up jumping into the water. And like most males um, of some ego at the time, I, I took on the challenge to swim out about 200 meters off the shore to impress her that I had a good swimming stroke and to then invite her to come into the water. By the time she got into the water, I had actually been bitten by a venomous sea snake. And oh. <laughs> what, had turned out, what had turned out to be a wonderful opportunity for a first date ended up in a chaotic, life-saving challenge, which saw her rescue me and take me back to the hotel where I was staying and then rushing, rushing me by car back to Singapore on a five-hour journey into emergency ward of a hospital where I stayed for the next 12 days fighting for my life. Wow. So what came out of that travel experience for me? Well, a couple of great things came out of that travel experience. And even though it was a life-threatening uh, experience, the thing that came out of it was I'd met this wonderful new person in my life who ended up being my partner for a number of years. And we had an incredible journey. We had an incredible first date that we could always talk about that connected us as a couple. And I saw all the amazing qualities in her that day where she went beyond the call of duty to make sure that I didn't die. So um, that was something extraordinary through a travel experience that I actually had the opportunity to experience. And then on top of that, um, I got to understand the medical capabilities in certain countries that I was in at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and this is a really big thing that we don't think about when we travel. So if I was going to give anybody a piece of advice today about travel is no matter where you go in the world, and it can be me getting on a plane going to New York City tomorrow, check out to make sure you understand what the medical support process is in the country that you're traveling to and always have that information on hand. So before you pack anything else into a suitcase or a backpack or any part of your other travel planning, have a contingency plan if something goes wrong. Because I've been in two plane crashes in my life and all that travel that I've done. I've had motorcycle accidents where I've ended up in hospitals, um, having operations in strange countries that I never thought I'd be testing out their medical facilities. And to me, that's where something could have gone terribly wrong if I hadn't made all those calculations beforehand. So my number one piece of advice for any traveler is to make sure that you have either a medical evacuation plan in place when you're traveling. And it doesn't matter whether you're going for a weekend or overnight. As soon as you leave home and you travel somewhere, you are in the lap of the gods of accidents, of mother nature, of human intervention. And we, we, a lot of the times we don't even think about this. this is, we're more worried about what food we're going to eat if the swimming pool is going to be big enough at the hotel and the resort, um, how am I going to get an Uber from the airport to my hotel? These are all the things that we think about. But to me, if something goes wrong, that's when you need to have your plans in place. Yeah. Hmm. Can, can you elaborate on that? Like what exactly should someone note for as part of their medical? Like nearby plan? hospitals or like strictly 
do you have to pay for it? Or is there a healthcare plan in place? Do you actually carry uh, health insurance, like worldwide health insurance coverage? Yeah, absolutely. And this is another important thing to do. I don't know if you ask your listeners actually who travel all the time, whether they've got insurance and what type of insurance they've got and how does it cover them when they're in each country that they're visiting, or even if it does cover them uh, when they're in the country, depending on the experience that they're planning, because a lot of insurance companies will not cover you if you're going to be doing something along the extreme sports line Mm. um, and putting yourself at potential risk. Um, I know of a couple of insurance organizations that won't even cover you if you if you fly on a certain airline that has a very bad reputation in Africa. So these are all things that um, you need to look at. Now, what I've done is I've actually joined with my credit card organization and I've actually worked with them to build a portfolio of travel insurance that suits my needs. So I sat down with their insurance people and said, right, this is the, the amount of coverage I want. Um, for my trips wherever I go in the world. And, and you talk about being on a boat and all those sorts of things. So I have a policy today that covers me from a custom customization point of view um, through my credit card company. So I make sure that I do all of my bookings and everything through my credit card organization. And then they make sure that they cover me and give me the best possible deal that I can get. And also the medical treatment. So um, it's aligned with the best kind of or best level of medical care that I can get in the country that I'm traveling to. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I've, the only time I've really considered uh, health insurance. Well, I know I had to get it for Tanzania. I was in Tanzania for six weeks and part of the trip required health coverage. Uh, similarly, I was in Germany for four months, also required health coverage. Uh, the one thing that I regret not doing now looking back on it, it was Bob and I's trip to Peru. And I don't think we had any kind of health coverage plan in place. Nothing. And less than six months after that, I was traveling with my family into uh, Long Island in the, uh, I forget what, the Hamptons for a wedding. And I woke up and found out that I had a collapsed lung. And luckily that was in the United States, but it was still not near the hospital that is in network. So, I mean, health coverage in and of itself is, can be very frustrating, but knowing you're covered is, it's just a peace of mind thing. That's a United States problem. It is a United States problem. Yeah. Yeah. But I challenge you guys to ask your guests that come on your show from now on, whether or not they've taken into account their travel health situation. Yeah. Because I I would say that, um, I would I would put a, put money on it. Probably high high up of eighty percent haven't got got the right type of coverage they need for where they're going to go. Yeah, and what you got to think about things like if you if you need to get shots to go to certain countries and you haven't got those shots and you end up with a problem, um, that's where it all starts to fall over. So again, you know, when we travel, we're in this we have this rush of adrenaline. We're so excited about where we're going and what we're going to do, and we plan all of these other things. And I think families are better than at doing it than what maybe couples and single people are because families have to look after their children. They're very mindful of making sure that a lot of those things in place. But I know that a lot of backpackers, a lot of solo travel travelers have not done their due diligence when it comes to looking at medical care. Yeah, I would agree with that. One of our early podcast <laughs> episodes was with um, the, the honeymoon couple. Honey track. Honey track. And yeah. they have been traveling for seven or eight years. They're one of the first travel bloggers to actually, you know, make a career out of it and continue to travel. And we did ask them that question about healthcare coverage. And they said that for the most part, they have some coverage outside the United States, but they considered themselves young and healthy. And anything major that would happen, they <clears throat> had partially covered, but then they would go back to the United States for routine checkups. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't cover emergencies and accidents i mean if they were in a situation where they would have to be operated on in another country then then they they could be in trouble when i when i was in thailand i was with a group and one of a lot of the people that i was with ended up either staying in thailand or going on to another country within southeast asia i came home but i stayed in touch with a lot of them and one of the girls that i was with ended up going to bali and she was riding a moped and she ended up in a horrible moped accident in Bali. Her family is from like LA or, or San Diego, somewhere in Southern California. And she ended up in the hospital and she was in the hospital for a long time, a few weeks, I think. 
and she ended up having to get surgery in Bali. And I, I didn't talk to her about the details. I don't know how she was covered or if she had insurance. I don't, I don't think she did. Um, but you never know when it's going to happen. Just like home. I don't know if some people think that, I mean, myself included, you're on going on vacation and you're not really worried about getting into a car accident or, or the, having something severe happen to me. I've seen it. I've been on trips where I've seen other people get hurt. When I was in Croatia on my honeymoon, we did a boat tour and we were just stepping off the boat back onto the dock when we were all done. And this guy, the boat was kind of, you know, how they just, you know, they drift back and forth. And as he was stepping off, the boat kind of drifted away just a few inches, but to the point where he missed the dock, he fell into the water and hit the rocks and ended up getting sea urchins, stabbing him all throughout his leg. It was, it, it's pretty bad. It's not and funny. so, no, no, it wasn't. I mean, so I didn't know it was severe at first and I kind of laughed when he first did it. And then we like pulled him out of the water. And I was like, oh man, this is actually, this is actually serious. So he ended up, we ended up leaving him. He was fine. Um, we ended up running into him the next day in Dubrovnik and we talked to him and he said it was an absolute mess getting, figuring out where the hospital was. The hospital was kind of, kind of just like blew him off. Didn't know we were in Havar which is a tiny island off of the coast of Croatia. So the hospital there just wasn't very good. They didn't really pay any attention to him from what he said. Like he really, they just kind of brushed him off. He had to wait until he got back to Dubrovnik and then got better medical coverage. But if he had a plan in place and if he knew what he had to do in the event of an emergency, it probably would have been, went much better. And so I'm glad we had this conversation because it's uh, honestly, this is something that I haven't, as someone who prides himself on being a good planner, hasn't yeah. put a lot of planning into what could happen in a situation. I think you need to update your itineraries. I, I think I do too. So, I mean, I'm currently planning a trip right now and I have a two-year-old and I'm going with a family and this is, it just jumped to, to priority. And so thank you. And it's a, it's an incredible point and something that we have not really discussed on this podcast yet. No. I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to bring doom and gloom to the show about travel, but I think in terms <laughs> of I, I listen to a lot of other podcast travelers and, and people being interviewed on podcasts about traveling and my own guests as well. And uh, no one ever brings up the subject of medical uh, support and medical planning. And, and um, it can turn your travel experience into something that's unforgettable in a negative way if you haven't planned for that. It could even put you off traveling for the rest of your life if it's something really severe, right? So um, another story I'll quickly share is just two weeks ago, um, a sailboat pulled up next to me here in Australia, a lovely couple from the United States, from San Francisco, who have been sailing around the world for the last nine years together. They're in their early 60s. He had a heart attack one night on his boat right here in Brisbane and um, has ended up in hospital and they're unable to continue their journey. They've got a beautiful 55-foot uh, sailing vessel that's now um, tied up here, they can't. Ma the lady can't manage it by herself. She's got no contingency plan in place. Um, he's he's got severe heart problems that he may ne never overcome. And their life has gone from one of being um, in balance and euphoria of traveling the world, sailing together, um, to now being an absolute disaster. So um, I tell you, you could do a podcast show every day of the year, and you could invite a guest on that's had some kind of medical issue when they've been traveling. And you could do that for the next 10 years because I know there's a lot of people out there that have had lots of, you, you talked about the Bali scooter experience, that happens every day in Bali with Australians. So um, yeah, just be really mindful of putting that, that action into place before you go traveling with you and your family. Absolutely. Yeah. The one thing that I have, my wife and I have <coughs> not had a chance to travel internationally much, if at all, together. Uh, our first trip was going to be to Iceland, but she I is much better than I am at planning for healthcare, probably because she works in healthcare. But when we went to Peru, she was like, make sure you have your vaccines, make sure there's no Zika. I was like, all right, done. And that was not even on my radar. Yeah. I, I would go down to another level where you know the emergency number in the country that you're actually going to. So you can actually dial somewhere. Um, you know the interpretation services so that you can get translation if you're in a foreign speaking country and you can't speak the language. Um, the key words about getting an emergency evacuation from wherever you are, that you understand what those words are that you need to use in the language where you're going. Um, because there could be an opportunity where you're actually isolated. You might be by yourself. And this could be something as simple as being in a city and going for a walk to the top of a cliff and having an accident. And mm -hmm, being yep. just, you might be only five minutes out of a major city somewhere. But if you have an accident and you break your ankle and you can't walk, 
and you've only got your mobile phone to help you out, then you need to be able to know who you call and how you get that support that you require. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I want to, we only, we only usually do an hour and I want to make sure that we touch up on your travels and we could talk about healthcare this entire time. But I, what I really want to make sure that we talk about your project that you're planning, the great loop project, the, the great loop boating project. Uh, yeah. Do you mind explaining what that is? Yeah, right. So I think there's a lot of people even in the United States of America that don't know what the Great Loop is. So um, not only for your listeners, but for all your international listeners as well. <laughs> um, I came across the Great Loop um, probably about two and a half years ago when I was doing some YouTube's, YouTube um, surfing one night, um, looking at obviously boating stuff. And I came across this incredible maritime journey that is the Great Loop. It's a 6,000 mile journey on the eastern states of the United States that starts off basically in Florida, goes up through the intracoastal waterways. And if you don't know what the intracoastal waterways is, this is a, um, a channel system that was built after the Second World War by the US Army and Navy to move a lot of their military equipment around without having to go out into the main Atlantic Ocean. And that intracoastal basically runs all the way up to New York City. So you can go from Florida on the east coast of the United States, if you're looking at a map of, of America, um, on the east coast, all the way from Florida up to New York City and the Hudson River without even going out into the ocean for very long. There's one point where you have to go around Cape May up at New Jersey, but yeah. you can go straight into the Hudson River. Elliot, when from- we, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off. Elliot, when we were in Florida together on our layover, when we had dinner, or I'm sorry, was it was at lunch, that water wave that we were looking at yeah. was, was that part of the coastal. That was part of the intercoastal. Oh, interesting. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at the map is now. It, it's it's kind of cool. It's a very, there's a very interesting history behind it. Yeah. They essentially wanted to move things back and forth without being spotted. Exactly. Yeah. By any other Navy. So wow. to continue the, continue the, the journey itself, the route of the Great Loop is once you get to the Hudson River, you go up the Hudson River and into the Erie Canal system, which takes you essentially into the Great Lakes. And Obviously, you're then in Canada, and um, you can go across the Great Lakes into the, the source of the Mississippi River, down the Mississippi, into the Gulf of Mexico, and back to Florida. So that's what's called the Great Loop, and um, it's become quite a phenomenon now. I think in terms of if you actually did some research on it and, and Googled quite a bit on it, you'll find hundreds of people's blogs and video journeys um, I haven't come across any podcasters yet. I might be the first that's going to be out there podcasting on the Great Loop. But um, yeah, it's an extraordinary um, maritime adventure. Now, I've wanted to do this for the last couple of years, but I wanted to I wanted to do it with some kind of humanitarian or philanthropic um, goal attached to it. And one of the things that I decided to do was to look at what sector of the community today probably needs some some support and help more than others. And I've decided that it's young adults between the age of 18 and 21. I think if we look around the world today, a lot of young people are getting disillusioned by the way the world is, whether it be climatically or economically, even politically. Um, a lot of people, a lot of young people are struggling at the end of their school life and in terms of realizing what is it I actually want to do in this world. So I've decided to put together a Great Loop project where we take a bunch of random young adults from the age of 18 to 21 they can come from anywhere in the world. So even though that this is a great loop in America and Canada, um, invitations are and applications will be received from people of that age group from anywhere in the world if they can fund themselves to come to North America to start this. Now, this is going to be a project that lasts for several years. Um, I intend on making a TV series out of it. And the TV series is going to focus on the life-changing experience of these people that are going to come on the boat. And Obviously, I can't do this by myself. So one of the ways that I'm going to enable additional resources to help out on this project is to invite people like Bob and Elliot from the Trailers Blueprint to come on the boat for a few days and to be mentors to these young people. And I'm going to be getting mentors from all over the world, from all different backgrounds in business and skill sets to come on the boat and be a buddy system with these young people. So we're going to buddy up one-on-one. And the mentor is going to teach some life skills or some technical skills or some proficient skills to the person that they're going to be the buddy of. And they may be on the boat for just a few days. They may be on the boat for a month. It depends on availability of the mentor and of, of course, the buddy system. So that's the vision that I have behind this. And obviously, I'm bringing my podcast to the United States and I'm going to be doing my show 
um, as I do today, but from my boat in the US. And I'm going to be hopping off my boat and going into cities and towns and uh, festivals and events and all the wonderful places we're going to visit across the Great Loop and be doing live podcasts from those um, destinations as we go. So that's what the Great Loop Project's all about. That is really cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the Great Loop is, is of itself pretty cool, something that I never heard of, but I'm very excited. I just learned about it. Uh, but what you're doing is even more awesome than the whole thing. I mean, and together, the two parts make an even greater whole. Yeah. Yeah. So have you figured out where you're stopping yet or is that still in the planning stages? I'm hoping, I, like I said in the email to us, we're, we're in like the Philly area. We're in the Philly Atlantic City area. So add that to your list. <laughs> make that a stop. <laughs> yes, make, please make that a stop. And we would be more than happy to help with the buddy Absolutely. and the Perry system. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, there's no way that I'm going to be coming past Philly without stopping in to see you guys. Perfect. So Excellent. But it's an important point to talk about the scheduling. And I have run um, <clears throat> several projects like this around the world throughout my life. And one of the things that I have learned of the many things I've learned about doing these types of projects, there is a degree of fluidity to it because you need to understand, first of all, the logistics. Obviously, it's a, it's a weather-related project as well. So if we have bad sea conditions, um, bad water conditions, bad bad weather in general, then we're not going to be putting anybody's lives at risk. So um, everything will be flexible to the stage where we say, okay, well, if we have a buddy and a mentor coming on the boat, then their dates need to be fairly rigid in terms of that's when they're available to come on the boat. And they're going to be giving up their time accordingly to be able to come and, and support the project. So we'll make that happen. But it may mean that rather than doing 500 miles together, we might end up doing 200 miles together because of the um, those other impacting forces. So um, my goal is now to to get rid of the boat that I'm standing on today, talking to you from, get over to the United States and start doing a lot of work um, on the ground. If I can, for one second, I'd just like to share, because people might listen to this and say, how can I get involved? What, what do you need? And all that sort of stuff, right? So yeah. um, I recently had communication with the Jacques Cousteau Institute out of New Jersey. And of course, the, the name um, and the brand of Jacques Cousteau is phenomenal in terms of uh, maritime history and, and particularly marine biology. And um, Jacques Cousteau's son has taken over the organization since his passing. And I've recently just agreed with them a partnership on this project. And one of the fascinating things we're going to be able to do, and this, this might really play into your hands as well, Bob, as a scientist, but we're going to be doing um, water quality tests around the Great Loop as we go. And the Jacques Cousteau Institute is going to provide professors and qualified personnel who can actually train young people to do water sample testing and find out um, about the ecobiology that's going on within the marine environment that we're going to be visiting. So in addition to doing things like podcasts and vlogging and blogging and all these other um, media skills, we're going to be doing things that have a direct impact on our environment as we're going along. So um, you know, there's the media side of it, but then there's going to be the practical scientific side because it's a 6,000 mile journey. That's a long way to go by boat. And there's a lot of things going on in those waterways. If we look at the, the Mississippi River today, how destroyed is the Mississippi River? Do we even know um, the whole length of the river and what its ecosystem is actually happening? So I'm very keen to get together with schools, university, colleges across the United States, um, particular faculties that focus on environmental issues in addition to film schools and media schools and all those other um, wonderful institutions out there that can become partners of the project as well. So don't test the Hudson unless you want some disgusting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Hudson is classified as a Superfund site. The whole, um, the whole Hudson River? Yeah. When, I, when I've done projects in New York, when I get my environmental database back that shows um, hits where they're still doing cleanups, the entire Hudson is just outlined <laughs> in red. <laughs> wow. So, you know, and, and I'm curious about the Schuylkill because I've kayaked the Schuylkill in Philadelphia. Mm. And I've always wondered mm. what I picked mm. up <laughs> in, yeah, that, yeah. in that experience. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's awesome. And so a term that Ellie and I have been hearing pretty recently that I think you might want to add to this is citizen scientist. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool term that I keep hearing bounced around. And it essentially just means that anybody can, 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 uh, contribute to science and learn it without having a career in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're doing science and you're, you're, we live in a world of open source and crowdsourced information. 
Yeah. And I think by doing, you know, I'm a practical guy. I didn't do very well in school like you guys did. So I got out into the world at a very young age and I used the world as my platform for learning. And as a result of that, there's probably a lot of things that I'm proficient in a lot more than what people have actually gone and studied them because I've had a practical experience of actually doing it as well. So I'm taking that life experience that I've had and I'm, I'm trying to now impart that on others who have had the same experience at school and and maybe they need to go and do something practical that they're more, first of all, interested in and they get excited about. And who doesn't want to go on a boat trip of a big adventure around the United States of America? Like, come on, how fun is that? And yeah. um, do, do some cool things along the way, right? Absolutely. It's going to be incredible. That's, uh, you need to let me know where you stop. Yes. <laughs> and when, where can we follow you to actually keep up to date on your starting location and the date <clears throat> that you intend to start? Okay, so there's the Global Travel Channel website. Yep. It's, got a, it's got a page dedicated to the Great Loop Project. Um, it's got the latest information on there right now on how okay. people can get involved and, and what the latest status is and, and a rough timetable on some of the goals that I hope to be uh, achieving. Um, and then on our Global Travel Channel Facebook page, there's also a Great Loop group on that page. So people can join up and interact. And, and I've already got a great community. Um, there's the American Great Loop Cruiser Association, which is based out of North Carolina. I contacted them about a year ago. They've come on board as a sponsor. They've given me free membership for a couple of years. But the important aspect of that is that they've actually got 14,000 members of the Great Loop community in the United States. And I now have direct access to them when it comes to looking at boats to buy and, and harbors and marinas to go and stay at and all these things that are the practical side of the journey as well. Awesome. Yes, it's, it's so neat. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can't believe I, I've never heard of it. I, I know like American geography pretty well and something that I, that I paid <laughs> a lot of attention to. Neither of us are really that into boating, though. No, no. I guess that's the, that's the thing. So you're going to do the entire Mississippi River. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And with the, with the actual Great Loop, you intend to do that, the TV show with it, the documentary of filming it. Um, when do you plan to air that? Will that be the following year while you're doing the next session? Well, look, there's going to be there's going to be several angles on that. I'm in, I'm in contact now with a couple of global travel um, show distributors to talk about the possibilities and the viability of that because I want to try and get this to certain platforms that where it's actually going to be watched rather than putting it on a a back end uh, platform somewhere where nobody gets to see it because I think it is going to be a very inspirational show it's also going to be a very educational show i think by the, a lot of the places that we visit um, a lot of the townships along the great loop route a lot of people wouldn't know anything about they wouldn't know about the history of those places and the significance the american history and the canadian history of those townships um, and also the amazing internet um, inspiring people that we meet along the way and i've already had um, people reach out to me and say listen i worked on this particular island that's in the um, florida key somewhere that's a uh, an island owned by the ex-presidents of the United States and they're the only people allowed to go there and, and I used to work there and I've got all this inside information that I can share with you about this island and all this sort of stuff, right? So it's like all these people are starting to pop up out of the network. So um, I see the distribution of this show in the end being on um, in-flight entertainment systems on airlines. I think that's a great platform to inspire people when they're sitting on a long-haul flight and they want to watch a cool TV show. Um, check out our great loop show on the, on the in-flight entertainment yeah. system of major airlines around the world. So that's one of the, the platforms I'm, I'm looking at as well. All right. I have a question for you guys though. I have another yeah. question for you. Yeah. You've asked me a lot. I, you've asked me a lot. <laughs> I've got a fire back. Um, Bob, I'll, I'll direct it at you. Sure. Have you seen through your talking to your guests on your show, an increase of, consciousness around sustainable travel and conscious traveling is that something that's becoming a bit of a theme on your show big time big time yeah we actually earlier today we had a podcast completely on sustainable development but we we're seeing a trend in the information that we're absorbing like the articles the travel articles that we're reading and the people that we're talking to that there's this eco tourism that's popping up and over tourism is becoming a buzzword and something that people are trying to avoid because so many people are traveling now. I think they're realizing that there there is a negative effect to it, and there is a negative effect to to over 
tourism and trying to do it in a more environmentally friendly way. Yeah. And I think on, we've had several conversations with not all of our guests, but a few of them regarding the impacts of the actual act of travel and how it negatively impacts the environment. And I mean, the, I think the most famous recent example is Greta Thunberg sailing back to Europe from the United to and from Europe, uh, to do the climate talks and yeah and i think she was accepting some kind of prize and she didn't want to fly because of the environmental impact so she decided to sail right yeah but yeah ecotourism i i think it just still has a broad term i honestly wouldn't really know how to nail it down with one definition but we just read an article that airbnb using their their booking analytics was selecting the trendiest places of 2020 and it was completely reliant upon the clicks that they're getting and the 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 bookings that they're they're getting through their platform and people are looking to do more eco-friendly locations rather than uh, i guess the more traditional destinations so so people are considering it as they travel definitely to the best that they can it's just such a weird thing it to to try to figure out because the, the the carbon footprint you leave when you fly from Philadelphia to Rome or, you know, when you sail around. I mean, we don't have the technology yet to travel in an eco-friendly way. All we can do is preach it and hope that preaching it pushes people to move in that direction. But right now we're kind of at the mercy of the technology we have available. Yeah, I, I think there needs to be an air of caution as well um, when it comes to how this whole um, philosophy evolves around the world. I, I think like anything that's new, there's a lot of pioneers and, and pioneers are notorious for sometimes running in the wrong direction when it comes to solution providing and all the rest of it. So without that though, we, we don't, I guess, end up with the right types of solutions if people don't try try things. But um, I, I just feel we also need to be a bit mindful of being over-trendicizing it, if that's even a word I just made up. But, um, <laughs> we'll roll with making- it trying to make it too cool you know like it it is relevant it is something we need to be absolutely conscious of but don't jump on the bandwagon for the sake of jumping on the bandwagon actually walk the talk and and do something um and i, I guess that's just something that comes on my own it, philosophy well it ties into it, it seems to be trendier with younger people and yeah. it ties into like ecotourism ties into like voluntourism where people are trying to get more than just the traditional tourist experience. Hey, look, there's the Eiffel Tower, super cool. Hey, look, let's do the tour of the Roman Coliseum. But they actually want to experience the culture in a deeper level. They want to meet people. They want to talk to people. And they want to actually work sometimes. And, you know, whether it's, Elliot worked on a farm in Costa Rica um, doing, you know. So I think, I don't want to say people are getting bored with traditional tourism, but with the the accessibility of the world to younger people and with social media where it's just thrown down their throats, you see a hundred people at the Eiffel Tower. I think I did I just say this. I feel like, I'm, but <laughs> you see these you see these pictures over and over again, and it kind of takes away the magic of doing it. And now people are trying to expand on what they can do when they go to these countries, and now they're looking to stay in. They're living with people. Um, we talked to this guy in Peru who who his name's. Matt and he has this company called Trek Hoppers Peru. And instead of taking people on the traditional gringo trail to Machu Picchu, he's taking people on a walking tour through the villages and they actually sleep with the the villagers themselves. And the money goes into those, goes directly to those families who then are able to buy more food and you're supporting the community in a more intimate way. And that's just, I think that's trending throughout the world and it's a pretty cool thing to see. It is. I'd like to maybe propose to you guys that we actually do another show on on volunteerism and have a chat about that. Um, I have quite a lot of uh, extensive experience in that, but I'd like to bounce off a lot of questions on, on you guys and talking to your guests about it as well. So if you're open to that, then sometime uh, further down the track, we could we could do a show on that because I think it's a very relevant one for, for today's travel world. Yeah, absolutely. As we wrap up, you've already mentioned a few of your of the places that people can get in touch with you, the Great Loop Project and your Global Travel Channel podcast. Do you, what are your social media handles and other locations people can follow you and reach you? So on Twitter, it's GTC Podcast. That's the handle on Twitter. It's Global Travel Channel on Instagram and it's Global Travel Channel everywhere else. So Facebook, website, um, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, 
all the normal um, platforms for hosting of podcast shows. Okay. Excellent. I'll well, send you a yeah. list if you like that you can put in the show notes and stuff. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us. Evening for us, morning for you. I hope you weather the storm well. I hope Oscar's doing all right. I have a feeling that we're going to end up uh, talking again in the near future. And I, and I can't wait for you to visit the United States. You have to let us know. It's It sounds incredible. It does. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, guys. And a final shout out to all those in Australia uh, impacted by the bushfires at the moment and uh, sending them all our best wishes and, and hope for the coming days and, and weeks and months ahead as well. Absolutely. Thanks again, Mark. Okay, guys. I am ready to jump on that boat and sail around. I can't wait. That what an incredible idea! What a it's it selfless in a way that he he wants to teach these young people about the world. You know, he kind of has this experience, and now he's trying to figure out a way to use it to better society. And it's it's admirable. And I, I'm flattered that he asked us to be a part of it. And I can't wait to contribute in any way we can. Absolutely, I completely agree. And I am also looking forward to being on that boat. Yeah, yeah. What is our trivia question for Mark? Our trivia question for Mark is what sport did Mark play that allowed him to travel at a young age and as a young adult? This is a good one because he didn't, he didn't really touch up on it too much. It was kind of like in the background of the yeah. conversation. So he mentioned I, it twice though. I, yeah, he did. And I, I, I like this. I like this one a lot. All right. So well, please give us some ratings on iTunes. It has been really helpful and it has actually gotten us some bigger guests. We enjoy it. We listen to them. We listen to them. We read them. <laughs> Follow us on social media. Reach out to us. Email, Instagram, Facebook. And thank you for listening. Tune in next week.